Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. If your roof starts to leak or your floor's really squeak, you live in a money pit. Money pit. If your basement needs a pump or your place looks like a dump, you live in a money pit. Money pit. Pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home. I call it Money Pit is presented by Dap Spray Texture. Now here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we are heading on into the holiday season. If you've got a project you want to get done to fix up home sweet home before your friends and family take over, reach out to us with your questions or, for that matter, anything else you'd like to get done now or plan for the warmer weather ahead. You can reach us by calling 1-888-MONEYPIT or go to moneypit.com slash ask and click the blue microphone button. Coming up on today's show, if you're shopping for a home, buying an older home can be a good deal, but only if you're ready for the restoration and repair that comes along with the job. We're going to share tips for handling the top old house to-dos. And heat pumps have long been a good option for heating and cooling homes where natural gas just isn't available. But new developments in heat pump efficiency may be making these systems even less costly to operate. We're going to dig into the new technology in a bit. And have you guys ever been surprised by a big electric bill? We're going to share the most common places energy is wasted, including spots we guarantee you have never thought of. All right. But first, we want to know what you are working on as we speed toward the holiday season. You got some last minute fix ups to tackle before Turkey Day? Well, you can make your to do's our to do's when you reach out with your questions. You can do that right now at one eight 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 Money Pit. That's eight 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 six 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 three nine seven four. Or go to moneypit.com slash ask and click the blue microphone button for the fastest possible response. So let's get to it. Leslie, who's first? Brenda in Michigan, you've got the Money Pit. How can we help you today? Yes. Hi. We were just wondering. We have a basement that we'd like to remodel, and the only problem is that right now it currently has a glued on carpet. It has paneling in the walls. And we had a termite problem, so we want to know what would you put for once we gut everything all out because the termite problem's been corrected. What kind of walling uh, material could you use that would be anti-termite, anti-mold resistant, and moisture? And it's against a black basement. What would you recommend? For so, for, first of all, what you would do is you would frame the wall out away from the block wall. You don't want to attach anything directly to the block wall because you need to have sort of an airspace between the wall and the concrete block so that it can breathe. If there's moisture that gets in the wall, it can evaporate. In terms of what kinds of materials you use, you're going to use um, either steel, steel framing, or you're going to use a pressure-treated sill plate that's the bottom 
a piece of wood, the bottom two by four, and then typical traditional two by fours on top of that. In terms of the wall covering, there's a type of drywall called Dens Armor, which is like fiberglass face as opposed to paper faced. And that's a good option for a basement because this way uh, that paper face can't feed a mold problem. In terms of the termites, um, if the home is properly treated, you shouldn't have to worry about those. It's not like you need to worry about building a termite-proof uh, basement down there. The, the termite-proofing is the application of the right pesticides that keeps them at bay. Typically today, they use a type of pesticide that's called an undetectable pesticide. It goes in the soil at the foundation perimeter. As the termites pass through that, as they go to the nest, they, they pick it up and, and spread it to the rest of the insects in the nest, kind of like germ warfare, and that wipes out the whole colony. And those treatments are effective for 10 years plus. So if it was done, you shouldn't have to worry about that. Just uh, concentrate now on the best materials for, for finishing that basement. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. All right, we've got Steve in New York who's dealing with a stinky water heater. What is going on? So recently I had a plumbing outfit come in and replace the water heater because it uh, went. I mean, it was old, so it went. And okay. uh, after they came and replaced the water heater, for some strange reason, my water smells like, like you know, if a sponge sits for an extended amount of time? Yeah. yeah like that. So... Huh. Um, yeah, I'm not drinking it, but nevertheless, I am showering, and it's just a little strange. So I went in, and I changed the whole house filter, and it seems right. to have subsided in a little bit, but not a lot. So is there, like, some kind of treatment I can do or something? Or I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. It's a brand-new water heater. Is it only the hot water that smells, or is it the hot and cold? You know what? I can't tell you... Yes to that. Are we talking about municipal water here, city water, not well water? No, no, no. Nope, well. Oh, it's well water. Okay. Here's what you need to do. You need to do a water test and find out exactly what's in that water because some condition has changed. Uh, the whole house water filter um, is is great, but you may need some additional treatment to deal with that, to deal with that taste and that smell. Uh, I don't know why, but something is different than what it was before. I think the water heater issue is probably not causing this. The only way that water heaters affect the odor of water is when you have an anode rod that wears out inside it. But since it's a brand new water heater, that's clearly not the case. I suspect this is the water supply itself that's smelling. And just for your sanity and your safety, I would recommend that you have uh, a water test done. And if you can, do it before the filter you know, so that the water that you're testing uh, has not already passed through the filter. You know, normally if you have municipal water, the water company will be doing it, but since you have well water, this is kind of on you. Do you have any other treatment on this water aside from the fill, from the filter? No. No. Uh, like I said, I, I had no problem. I was drinking my water. It was, it was, there was no smell. There was, there was no discrepancies, actually. But, I mean, ever since they put the new water heater on, it's like, what in the heck is that smell? Well, I suspect they're not connected, but I would definitely do a water test. Just because it smells good and tastes okay doesn't mean it's good. There are things that could be in that water that you can't taste and you can't smell. So that's where you have to start with this problem, Steve, okay? Thank you, and thank you for what you guys do. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than 100 times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens, too. 
Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock this special offer in right now by going to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Do you love learning about home improvement on our podcast? Well, we love bringing you all the latest tips and tricks. And if you want to make us smile, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Just go to moneypit.com slash review. Patricia in Louisiana is on the line with a siding question. How can I help you today? I had listened to a program that you guys had done just a little while back, and somebody was asking about putting gutters on the side of a manufactured home. Well, I, it was funny because I had actually done that, and it does not work very well because most of the uh, uh, siding on a, uh, a mobile home is corrugated, so it really doesn't work really well, and they put these really skinny gutters on. Well, in the areas that it didn't exactly go flush um, to the metal siding, um, there has been um, runoff, you know, that's gone down, and just in a few places, so it's not horrible, but um, I've tried to clean it, and I'm afraid to push on it too hard because, uh, obviously, the corrugated aluminum bends. And I've used a product that you guys also suggested, which is a spray that actually gets rid of mold and mildew and stuff like that on the side of buildings. That works fabulously, but it did not clean off the staining from the rain. And I was wondering what I could use to either cover the staining or, you know, I'm afraid of painting anything for fear it looks like I painted the side of a mobile home. Right, right. So um, a couple of things. I'm glad that the spray and forget that we recommended works so well. It was wonderful. So you, there are house cleaners that are out there that are a little more corrosive. I mean, the, the reason that works so well is that the spray and forget works so well is because basically it's kind of like a mildicide. It kills the mold and the mildew, and then it just sort of falls off. The house cleaners are more like old-fashioned sort of soap and water and, 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 and that sort of thing. Uh, one that uh, I used to recommend a lot that works pretty well is called Jomax, J-O-M-A-X. You'll find it at a home center or a hardware store. And that's um, a house cleaner that you might be able just to mix up a really small batch of it and see if that will take out that stain. It also occurs to me that the stain could be like an erosion of the finish. So it might not be a stain that's like on top of the siding. It might actually be sort of some siding, some of the finish on the siding deteriorating. And in that case, obviously, there's nothing that you can do about it short of, of painting. Uh, why are you reluctant, though, just to paint the whole side of the of the house? Because I don't have that kind of money um, at hand <laughs> to do. I'm actually selling my lakefront property, and this is the really cool little mobile home that I put on it. And um, I just I've spent so much money on these two acres recently that you know it became a money pit, but a good one. It's a nice one, you know. But it, it's just everything I have has gone into this place. And to be quite honest with you, I have tried to use like those sponges um, that have a little bit of rough on the other side. You know, one side sponge, the other side's abrasive. 
And I've tried to use that, and the color of the stain does not change at all, whether I use a little bit of baking soda, you know, not super abrasive, but abrasive. I mean, it sounds like it's either a chemical reaction or some of the finish has changed due to sun fading. I mean, that's what it seems like rather than something you can clean. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's not in the sun. It's I actually have a, um, a um, carport. And so some of it, you can just see where it's been run off from the little teeny tiny gutter that they put up alongside of these mobile homes, which I'm not kidding you. It's not even a half inch wide. So here's what I would suggest you do. Take a picture and post it to the Money Pit's Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash the Money Pit. Give us a little bit of history and we'll take a look and get you an answer. Sound good? Thank you very much. Thanks so much for calling us at 888-MONEY-PIT. Well, if you've shopped for a home lately, you know they're growing dramatically more expensive. And boy, are they seriously getting more and more expensive. But you may not know that they're also getting older. In fact, the average age of a home in the United States today is 39 years. And if you've been shopping for a home and put off by those higher prices, older homes are definitely presenting a more affordable option. But you do need to keep one thing in mind. Older homes mean more maintenance. That's right. You know, guys, before I started hosting The Money Pit, I spent 20 years as a professional home inspector. And in that job, you kind of develop almost an uncanny ability to predict what might be wrong with a home and what home repairs were needed, sometimes without even setting foot in the door. It wasn't like a magic trick, but the result of having done thousands of inspections and seeing the same home repair problems over and over again based on the house age. And once you know the age of a home, the construction shortcomings and the needed home repairs are pretty consistent. Yeah, and that's why one of the first things you should do is get a good home inspection done. You want to make sure you go with the inspector, make sure you pay close attention. It's a great opportunity to learn how everything works in the house. And if problems are found, you might be able to renegotiate that purchase price to cover the cost of those repairs. So definitely an important part of the process here. Now, if you can't negotiate the repair costs, you could also consider a fixer-upper loan. Now, one possibility that's very popular is an FHA 203K loan. It's a type of mortgage that lets you borrow the purchase price and the construction costs based on the post-renovation value of the property. So in other words... When the home is totally fixed up, it's going to be worth more, and that's the number that they use to determine how much to loan you. If you want more tips, you can simply search Home Repairs by House Age. It's a post that we wrote on moneypit.com for just this topic. We list all the top projects for homes from the year 1900 to the present. We've got Patrick in Kansas with us who's got a question about solar lighting and timing and all kinds of transformers. What kind of lighting situation do you have over there, sir? I have 25-year-old uh, low-voltage uh, wired landscape lights. Uh, I have a lot of them. I have four separate transformers, probably close to 100 lights altogether. The thing of it is they're old, and I have a short somewhere on one or two because the transformers keep uh, tripping. I've torn out some of the fixtures that were totally rusted and rotted. I'd like to have some others that are operational. I know everyone now is going to the solar ones. My question is, do you have solar lights that you can control on timers or something like that? I doubt it. Uh, The reason why I like the wired ones is I can control when they come on, when they go off. And sometimes of the year, I don't even turn them on at all. Um, So my fixtures work. The problem is with the wiring. 
um, and some of the connections. The electrician that installed them originally on the connections just used plain wire nuts. My guess is some of those are failing. Um, and I know they make, you know, wire nuts now made to be placed underground or even underwater. Um, and I could use those. The problem is chasing all these down going to be a problem. So my question is, uh, what would be your suggestion? So I try, should I try to eliminate some of the old fixtures and then go fixture to fixture and try to locate the problem and chase it down? There's really no way on a low voltage system to use any detector as far as I know. Or should I look to do something with, um, with the solar? Uh, it's going to get expensive with solar though. And again, my big issue is how do I control them? I want a lot of control over them. Well, wow, with over 100 fixtures in all of those zones, that is quite a challenge. But given the fact that they're 25 years old, I think it might be time to think about replacing those fixtures. I mean, look, the short's going to be at a fixture. It's not going to be midstream of the wire unless you happen to, like, you know, cut it with a shovel or something like that. But that means rewiring or at least rechecking all of those connection points for every single fixture. And Chances are you're going to do that, but maybe the short is deeper in the fixture, and the fixture itself is what's faulting. So I'm just wondering if it's worth all of that effort, given uh, given the number that you have. I am not aware of any solar lights that will work on zones like that where you can create patterns. And frankly, I'm pretty disappointed with the solar landscape lights that are out there. They seem to be inexpensive and don't last very long and not very bright. I mean, certainly the market's getting better for that. We're starting to see much better opportunities because of battery technology for good lighting. But on the control circuit side, I don't see that changing. So I think, look, you're probably better off replacing those with new landscape lights. Make sure they're LED lights now. They'll be brighter than before. You'll probably have more options. And just um, rejoice in the fact that the lights that you had lasted 25 years. I mean, I think that's a heck of a lifetime for those fixtures to have gone that far. Good luck with that project. And thanks for reaching out to us at moneypit.com slash ask. Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IAPMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. 
That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jenna in South Carolina has got a question about covering a patio. Tell us about your project. I want to build a patio cover. I want to know if I should come out from the soffit. The people I've talked to that are going to maybe be building it want to come off the house, go underneath the soffit, and come out that way. There's a corner where it's perpendicular. I guess the soffits are going to be perpendicular. So the roof line is also perpendicular, if that's the correct word I'm using. So I just want to know if I should come or could come off the soffit, or do I need to come back and go get the house? So, Janet, I think this kind of project, you have to be very careful about how you build it, because I've seen more built poorly than built correctly. The idea of attaching it underneath your soffit is basically the first sign that it was kind of an amateurish project because normally you wouldn't attach a roof under a soffit like that. But I'll tell you what you would attach under that, and that would be a removable awning. You know, there are really nice awnings today that can extend out 10 or more feet that are mounted on the wall, uh, exterior wall. And, you know, with the touch of a remote control, extend out and cover that whole dining area, the patio, really effectively. And I think that is much more likely to give you enjoyment, will have less maintenance hassles, and improve the value of your house than trying to put together any kind of a roof structure over that. If the option is just to make a patio cover, I think that's probably a much more attractive way to go and probably less expensive. What do you think, Leslie? I mean, I think an awning for certain is far more customizable. You can have it come in, come out, depending on the weather. You can pick an interesting fabric that's going to work nicely with the house. I mean, truly, awnings are lovely and really do you know a wonderful job of just updating the facade of the home. So I feel like that's a better way to go for sure. Well, heat pumps have long been an optimal choice for heating and cooling homes where natural gas is not available. But new developments in heat pump efficiency may be making these systems even more efficient and less costly to operate than gas. With us to talk about that is Kyle Murray. Kyle's the business development manager for Bosch Home Comfort. Welcome, Kyle. Thank you. You know, heat pumps have always been a very popular option in mostly southern climates that have mild winters, but not so much in northern climates where natural gas was more available and less costly to operate. But I'm hearing that's changing now with the new technology that you guys are introducing. Tell me about it. Yeah, so after the, over the last 10 years, um, we've started developing what are called cold climate heat pumps. And cold climate heat pumps will work in northern climates. It, usually heat pumps were sold south of the Mason-Dixon line in the southern part of the United States. But now with the advent of cold climate heat pumps, they're now sold in northern climates and Canada as well. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, is the cost of a heat pump system going to be comparable to what a gas system would cost? Or is this going to be um, a, more, a more expensive investment on the part of the initial sort of setup? 
So it really depends on whether it's a ducted system or a ductless system and whether right. you, what you're talking about, whether it's new construction or existing construction. But as a replacement, so like if you have an air conditioner in a northern climate, um, you should always replace it with a heat pump because it's, it's not that much more um, costly as the air conditioner is. And it does right. heating and cooling. So it's, it's kind of a misnomer that they call them heat pumps because they're both heating right. and cooling both. Yeah, people do get confused about heat pumps. The analogy I usually use is something that most people can relate to. Everybody knows that if you take a window air conditioner, it blows hot air on the outside and colder on the inside. If you turned it around and shoved the hot air side back into the house, it's kind of like a heat pump. It reverses the refrigeration cycle. Now, of course, that's a very simple explanation. And what you guys are talking about is some very sophisticated, it's inverter technology, right? All of our heat pumps at Bosch are inverter technology. And that inverter technology allows it to operate at the most efficient wet levels. So most systems, like when you have your furnace on, your air conditioner on, it's on full blast or it's off. Right. Our systems go through 80 different cycles so that it's constantly cycling to try to find the right um, level for the uh, system, the inverter, and the compressor to operate at. So since it's kind of always searching for this optimal level, how important is it to make sure that you're maintaining a certain level of service so that it does do that well? All heating and cooling systems should be serviced over time. You know, a lot of times we ignore those. And, um, you know, you should always, especially as the weather starts getting colder, take a look at your system. When's the last time you serviced it? And whether or not um, it's been serviced in the last year or two, then you should definitely do that to keep it operating at a system efficiency. We're talking to Kyle Murray. He is the business development manager for Bosch Home Comfort about some brand new heat pump technology that makes heat pumps a great choice for really any climate from far south to far north. Kyle, when we have a traditional heat pump uh, that we had, you know, maybe up to this point in time, use of that thermostat is really important, right? Because heat pumps only maintain a certain differential between what it's set at and what the actual temperature is. And if it got colder than that, it would always kind of kick on the electric resistance heat that was a backup sort of built-in system to a heat pump. How does that change with the inverter technology? Do we still have the backup resistance heat, or is that no longer necessary? Well, it depends on the envelope of the building, right? So if it's a super-insulated house or a well-insulated home, depending on your climate, um, the, the heat pumps that we sell right now go down to about minus 5 Fahrenheit, and the MIDI splits go down a little bit below that. But with the Department of Energy Cold Climate Heat Pump Challenge, nine manufacturers, including Bosch, are working on what's called cold climate heat pumps, which will operate down to minus 15 Fahrenheit, which in most climates will, will allow you to not need a backup system. Now, all of these systems are scaled on the SEER rating, which is the seasonal energy efficiency ratio. So what are you doing to sort of ensure the energy efficiency of these new units? Well, with the new rules from the Department of Energy, the minimum SEER is 14 SEER. All of our inverter heat pumps um, go from anywhere from 15 SEER up to 21 SEER. And um, those are the highest efficiencies on the market. Um, and the products are uh, all um, ducted or ductless. So both ducted and ductless systems are available at these super efficient SEER levels, correct? That's correct. 
Exciting new technology from Bosch Home Comfort. If you're interested in learning more, you can go to the Bosch website, which is bosch-homecomfort.com slash US. Kyle Murray, the business development manager for Bosch Home Comfort. Kyle, thanks so much for stopping by the Money Pit. This is really exciting technology, and I think it's going to be very meaningful for folks as they look for new heating and cooling options going forward, especially for those of us in the North. Great. Thanks for having us on. All right. Get this. Heading to Tyler, Texas, to talk to Tyler, who happens to be doing a project in his bathroom right now. Let's see if we can interrupt him. Yeah, it's funny. I'm under a sink while you guys are calling me. That's awesome. Oh, that's perfect. Awesome. (laughs) So, yeah, my question was, in what scenario does a homeowner need to worry about pulling permits when doing work on their house? Or if they hire somebody, what do they need to check to make sure that their person they're hiring is pulling permits for? Yeah, that's a great question. So, generally speaking, if you're doing a repair then you don't need a permit. But if you're doing a replacement, then you do need a permit. So I, in terms of a contractor, if a contractor is working on your house, I think the same rules apply. If it's a repair, like if a plumber comes in to fix a leak in the pipe, that's a repair. If you're making an improvement, like let's say you're replacing your water heater, that's an improvement and that needs a permit. So it really comes down to something as simple as that. But, you know, what you might do is give a call to the local building department office. And I like to do this without giving them my address so I can at least can figure out what the answer is going to be before I I move on. Well, they're just as sneaky. They want to know where you are so they can watch your house. I learned that trick years ago when I was trying to replace a shed. And I thought, well, it's just a shed. You know, somebody just drove by the house and said, oh, that's like you have to have a permit for that. So I applied for it. And it took like months. It's a shed for Christ's sakes. It's a shed. I mean, it shouldn't take that long, but it did. So I'm just a little more careful about what I say when I talk to some of those guys. And, but listen, I, I, I'm not to say that it's not to say that having a, a, a um, building room is a bad thing. When you have an inspector from the town look at these things, they're really good at making sure that it was done right. You know, we had a heating system done about a year ago. And one of the pipes that was put in was wrong. And I didn't know that, but this guy knew the specs, and he called it out, and my contractor had to fix it. So, you know, I think there's a benefit for that. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, yeah, thank you all for the phone call. I appreciate it. I have to point out that your name is Tyler, and you live in Tyler, Texas. Yeah. How'd you pull that yeah, off? It wasn't by design. It just happened. <laughs> well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Well, I appreciate right. y'all's program. It's uh, always informative and very entertaining. So thank you all for the phone call on top of it. Take care, Tyler. Well, guys, when you peel open the electric bill every month, does it give you a sticker shock? You know, sometimes figuring out how to reverse that trend starts with a good understanding of where all that power is going, especially because a good portion of that juice may be going to places you are not even aware of. Yeah, so to help, here are three areas where we see a lot of wasted energy. First off, let's talk about vampire appliances. These are the things that are always plugged in and are drawing energy, whether you are using them or not. So the solution here is using a power strip. You turn it off when the appliances are not being charged or used, and you turn it on when they are. Ends that vampire usage there. Now, let's talk about energy hogs. These are the big appliances like dishwashers and clothes washers and dryers and ovens that have insatiable appetites for electricity and can definitely drive up your bill. Some tips there, run the dishwasher, run the clothes washers only at full capacity. Select low heat for the dryer, and don't use the electric heat to dry the dishes in the dishwasher. It's really not necessary. Secondly, 
Replace any older appliances. These usually are not energy efficient. If they are not listed as Energy Star appliances, it's time to upgrade them. All right, now let's talk about lighting and ceiling fans. When it comes to lighting, a lot of people make the mistake of using lights to brighten an entire room, but efficient lighting only provides lights to specific areas, such as the couch, the chair, the kitchen table, a workspace, you know, all of that stuff. Solutions here are using lighting only in rooms that you're in and for a specific purpose, like that task lighting, switching out incandescent bulbs for LEDs. I mean, the costs really have come way down to purchase, so it's a great investment. They'll last a lot longer, and they cost a lot less to operate. And also, replace your old switches with occupancy or vacancy sensors. That's really great for your kids' rooms, great for basements, great for the bathroom, places that the children and other people love to go in, turn everything on, and then leave and leave everything on. (laughs) So it's a great way to just automatically turn everything off with, you know, a time sensor. This way nobody's sitting there in the dark and they're definitely going to be saving some money. I tell you what, those occupancy sensors definitely uh, were a change of life for us here at My Money Pit because I was no longer reminding the kids like every day, sometimes three times a day to turn the lights off in their rooms. It just happened automatically. And for a while, they couldn't figure out why. Like they thought something was wrong and dad, you had to fix that. I'm like, it is fixed. <laughs> You're like, I fixed the problem. It was you. You guys were the problem. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> now we've got Eden in Arizona on the line who's got a question about a garbage disposal. What's going on? My question is that every time we turn on the garbage disposal, the sink that is next to the sink that has the disposal in it has all this yucky stuff come up through the drain up into that sink. And we had a guy come out to adjust the garbage disposal for a different reason, and I hoped somehow that would fix it, but it's still doing it. So basically, it, I turn on the garbage disposal, and everything that's in the garbage disposal goes into the other sink. So it's, it's really gross. So if your garbage disposal, if you have a double sink and the disposal is backing up into the other sink, that means that that main drain line is somehow obstructed and the water is trying to get down there, but it just can't. And because it can't, the only place it has to go is back into your sink. And because the drain on that side is the path of least resistance, it's going to bubble up there and bring all of that gunk that the garbage disposal ground up. So this is a situation where you're going to have to clear that drain. Now, it is a little trickier when you have a double sink because you have to block one sink so that your air, so that when you actually use a plunger, it doesn't just try to like push air out that side. So you block, say, the disposal side, and you could put like a rubber jar opener or something like that across that sink and hold it in place while you plunge the other side to see if we can get that pipe moving. Now, if that's not enough to clear it, at that point, you'll need to have a drain cleaning surface come in. But if it's properly cleared, it should not be backing up into the opposite sink. It's just a simple matter of fixing a clogged drain. Lauren reached out to Team Money Pit, and she says, I have a fiberglass door installed onto our shed, and it's clear the contractor did not use a primer. Now, the paint on the door is scratched off due to the bikes going in and out of the storage room. How can I correct this? Are there any options on how to get that paint to adhere any better? Yeah, I think the problem here is not that the paint needs to adhere better because the paint you used wasn't designed to adhere. I mean, when you have fiberglass, you absolutely have to use a primer because the paint you put on top of that, if it's not a primer, it's just not going to stick. I mean, think of primer as the glue coat, right? That's what really bonds 
to these smooth surfaces like fiberglass. And then once it does, you can put a traditional paint over that that's not a primer, and it will stick to the primer. So in this case, you have to remove all of that loose paint, maybe even all the paint that's on there, and then repaint it primer first and then the top coat. All right, now Jenny wrote in saying our downstairs neighbor is complaining of footstep noise. How can we soundproof our hardwood floors beside adding carpeting? Yeah, unfortunately, there's not a lot you can do here. And frankly, I don't have a lot of uh, a lot of sympathy for folks that live on the first floor of a two-story or, or multi-story building. Like you know what you're getting into. Yeah, you got to stand. You're going to have noise from above. Now, if you wanted to be a really good neighbor, Jenny, what you could do is get area rugs and put those like a runner you know, down an area where maybe you have some foot traffic like a hall and then maybe an area rug for some of the other areas. But really, that's all you can do at this point. To try to soundproof that floor is a major construction project. Whether it's done from the floor side or the ceiling side it is way beyond the scope of what anybody should be expected to do. Yeah, Jenny, and you can even go ahead and use rug pads under an area rug. They're going to help them from sliding and, you know, from a trip hazard. Plus, they give a little extra padding. And then you can just maybe wear slippers. I don't know. And also apologize <laughs> to the go. neighbor and maybe keep a quiet time after 9 or 10. Just be considerate. Well, when it comes to designing a new floor for your home, there are more options than you can imagine. And Leslie has ideas on how you might combine some of those wood flooring styles for a totally new look in today's edition of Leslie's Last Word. Leslie? Yeah, you know, a great flooring project really can enhance any room. So when it comes to flooring, I like to use a product that's going to be super durable for the space that I'm putting it in. But I also like to take it one step further. When I'm looking at the flooring materials, I like to make sure that the planks of wood are available in different widths. Now, why I do that is because I like to create a focal point within that space. This works great in a foyer, in a hallway, pretty much anywhere where you have a little bit of open floor space that you're not going to cover with an area rug because essentially I make what looks like an area rug out of wood in the middle of the room. Now, what I like to do is use a wider plank throughout, and then I choose an inset area, and using even the same exact flooring finish material but just at a different width, I can create that border. Maybe it's a space that's three by five, and then I do one plank that's a thinner width, and then, you know, something that's different. Maybe in the interior, I put a herringbone pattern or a diamond pattern or something, anything. But it really creates this beautiful focal area. And again, walkways, hallways, the foyer, all of these spaces really work beautifully for this technique. It's just something a little different. It makes that space feel unusual and special, and it's really not terribly expensive to do so. And again, it's something you can do yourself. You can have the pros do it. It's a great way to just make that space totally you. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Show. Coming up next time on the program, temperatures are dropping, and when that happens, Pipes can freeze, they can rupture, and they can leak, potentially causing thousands of dollars of damage. We're going to share the best ways to make sure that doesn't happen to you on the next edition of The Money Pit. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. 